the flag is, is drenched with our blood. Because you see, so many of our ancestors was killed because we have never accepted slavery. We had to live on it, but we've never wanted it. So we know that this flag is drenched with our blood. So what the young people are saying now, give us a chance to be young men respected as a man. As we know, this country was built on the black backs of black people across this country. And if we don't have it, you ain't gonna have it either because we gonna tear it up. That's what they saying. And people ought to understand that. I don't see why they don't understand. Light nigga, dark nigga, faux nigga, real nigga, rich nigga, poor nigga, house nigga, feel nigga, still nigga, still nigga. I'm not a deeply spiritual person, but when something resonates with me on another level, I know I can feel it. And today, I'm definitely here to speak about something that resonated with, with me on a whole nother level. I was actually moving in another direction and I wanted to do um, a way to subtly appreciate and show love for black women by talking about uh, black hair and the acceptance of which, and I'll come back to that at another time. But this jumped out to me. I looked in this woman's eyes and I saw my own family and what she did. And what she did <clears throat> was so magnanimous that I felt like sharing it because I felt like this is something more people should know about. Um, this is the time of the year usually when they go through and they try to tell you about uh, Martin Luther the King and Abraham Lincoln. And while all those things are nice and they mean a lot for the culture and what history has brought us, this lady right here, uh, Fannie Lou Hamer, she and her story resonated to me in a way I don't want to sound disrespectful, but it was looking at somebody who was like my own grandmother. She, uh, both of them, she a country old lady who had to grow up in the Jim Crow South and the stakes of the Jim Crow South, what, you know, is told us historically, uh, she personified and she challenged and that's not often uh, met. We, we sit back in this time and we usually be like, oh, I wouldn't have did all that back in the day. But we see what happened in instances in the pandemic just just a, a short time ago, just under, you know, 18 months ago. What, what do people do? You know, they went out to the streets and they still decided to march when we have counterparts in other cultures, such as the Asian American community. I didn't know that they were you know, a, a separate entity. I didn't, I didn't know that their plight was separate from those other uh, peoples of, of color, but I, I understand how 
hegemony has left them to feel that they needed to separate themselves. And um, hopefully we realize at another time that the, the power lies somewhere else. But to stay on subject, what was beautiful and in that time was seeing the community go back and forth about the actual issues in society and how the repetition of such things were not going to be the path in which this generation was going to decide to go about things. I remember talking with people who are of another persuasion and had to sit in their presence with a straight face and explain to them that the difference between what happened in the past and what happened now is the strength that comes from our ancestors. And Fannie Lou Hamer, I hope, is on the other side, still breathing life into the issues that we have today. We are sick and tired of being sick and tired. To be clear, Miss uh, Fannie Lou Hamer, to bring this full circle, that was my great grandma's mother's uh, first name as well. Uh, she was Fannie Mado, but Miss Fannie Lou Hamer, who was uh, born to Mississippi sharecroppers. My family, uh, a couple generations ago, were Floridian sharecroppers who came from Alabama. She was a Mississippian sharecropper who was the youngest of 20 children. She spent almost 20 years working as a sharecropper picking cotton. She started picking cotton when she was just six years old. She was given the job of timekeeper at the cotton picking sharecropping location and because she had the ability to read and write so she was able to keep up with the debt that people were collecting so pretty much how sharecropping work was uh it was the answer to slavery as far as they were still people who own agricultural lands and they needed people to work it so the people could work it uh, as in being in debt. Uh, but they would have to work if you didn't work, you were arrested and forced to work for free. So there are your two choices. I know it doesn't sound like two choices, but those are the two choices. Miss Fannie Lou Hamer uh, goes through this early Mississippian life um, where she ends up meeting her, her husband um, very sadly they made attempts to grow their own family and this is important because I wanted to speak to this because it's still an issue today. Her babies were stillborn. The two children that her and her husband tried to bring into this world. And they decided to take a path that many of these people who claim to be 
pro-life don't take and they adopted two two little girls. But where we make a connection to today is Ms. Hamer was involved in something that is known but not spoken about as often. She was involved in a surgery that was supposed to just remove a tumor in her abdomen. The doctor in Mississippi and many places in the South actually performed a hysterectomy on Ms. Hamer while she was under the care of anesthesia. What they called the Mississippi appendectomy. It's a very cruel practice that even still today, people are trying to keep up and it's a way to uh, truthfully eradicate black people. This event actually turns Ms. Hamer. So remember, this is in 1961. Uh, Ms. Hamer ends up in this situation. The situation where the appendectomy is performed changes her mind about who she is. Think about living your life and having something horrific happen to you where somebody makes a decision above what you felt for yourself. At this point, Ms. Hamer sees herself not as a civil rights activist, but as a human rights activist. And that's usually what's get lost in this time. Um, Martin Luther King didn't think of himself as a civil rights activist. He felt himself to be a human rights activist. The things that people did in groups like SNCC, what Ms. Hamer was involved with, they didn't think of themselves as people who were trying to be activists. They had to argue for the case of being seen as people. We are sick and tired of being sick and tired. So, to be clear, Ms. Hamer makes a decision in 1962 that she was going to go and register to vote. While this sounds like a very mundane act in 1962 in Mississippi, it was a very radical decision to make, to actually decide like, hey, I'm going to go have the ability to make a choice just to pick the people who were making the determination of being in charge of decisions in the place where I live. Something you would think that is just nomenclature, just a thing that would be like, ah, right, yeah, you know what I'm saying? Why, why not your vote? In fact, you know, most people don't even think they vote count. So here she is on something that, you know, People will probably uh, be like, what does it matter? Your, your vote don't count? Maybe votes counted at this time. Uh, to tell the story, Ms. Hamer loads up 
on a bus full of people. It's 17 people. And they take a bus ride to Indianola, Mississippi. It's the county seat for Sunflower County to register to what's called a first class citizen. You didn't know there were levels of citizenship. There probably shouldn't be. But, you know, this is Mississippi, 1962. Uh, out of the 17 people who took this bus, two, one being Miss Hamer and one being Ernest Davis, uh, another young man, were allowed to even go in the clerk's office to register because you were required to take a literacy test at this time, even to vote. Um, obviously, the literacy test was only given to certain people. Everybody didn't have to take a literacy test, but uh, what is it? The brown paper bag test? It was it was something like that to, to see if you had to take your literacy test or not. So Ms. Hamer and Mr. Davis didn't pass the brown paper bag test. So they had to go on down and take this literacy test. Now, to be clear, even before you took the literacy test, as a person who didn't pass the brown paper bag test, you would have to say where you worked and give your address. In Mississippi, in 1962, there was a certain group of guys who rode around, you know, sometimes maybe wearing bed sheets and took this voting information and went and tried a certain way of encouragement to, uh, let's say, a certain way of encouragement to get the the voting populace the correct energy to move in a certain way. The our bed our bed sheet fellows. So let's be clear. Let let me explain to you the literacy test Ms. Hamer had to take. Ms. Hamer had to read a section of the Mississippi Constitution that spoke on de facto law. If you're a lawyer, you know, please help somebody understand what de facto law I'm going to I'm going to read you verbatim Ms. Hamer's quote I know as much about a facto law as a horse knows about Christmas Day needless to say uh, Ms. Hamer and Mr. Davis failed their test in which Ms. Hamer responded to the clerk at the court, she would be back. That to, to be clear about what de facto law is, de facto law uh, by the definition is an action taken without strict legal authority to do so or recognized as legally valid nonetheless. The action is considered something that acquires validity based on the fact of its evidence and tradition. Now, in layman's terms, de facto law is pretty much uh, I say so law. That's that's what it means. It's um, we've been doing it like this. So we're going to say this the way we do. it. Now, I don't know for sure if the clerk who administered this test knew that level of irony involved in 
getting black people in Mississippi in 1962 to read about de facto law uh, is, but I do know they know it was assholery. We are sick and tired of being sick um, and tired. And to be clear, I don't want you thinking like, but bruh, this 1962, this back in the day. I want you to know um, they invented cassette tapes, uh, LED lights, and satellite communication in 1962. So before, before you know, you want to get too far off and make it like, oh, you know, man, this back in the days, they wasn't even, they wasn't even on nothing. They was on shit. This isn't, this isn't long ago. The the people who feel like this. More than likely, if you're my age, I want you to know they are the grandkids of of these people. They are your peers. If you're if you're in the the 45 to 25 range, yeah, the people you're around, these are their grandparents. We talking about these aren't people who are dead. When Miss Hamer uh, makes this attempt to register a vote. She gets back to her job, and her boss tells her, why? Why'd you do that? Mississippi? Mississippi don't need that. Ms. Hamer, which I'll put in the video, will draw her line in the sand right there. Um, she was told she can either go back down there and take her name off the registration or she was fired. She wasn't a human. She's not a person of interest. She's not a human rights uh, activist because she kept her job. We are sick and tired of being sick and tired. What does somebody like Ms. Hamer do at this time? Ms. Hamer then gets involved with an organization um, called SNCC, which is a very common organization at this time. Uh, very, very well known. Uh, you can Google it for yourself. You'll see the people that are involved. If you don't know nothing about SNCC, go ahead and Google it so you can find like, oh, that's the name of the group? Yeah, that's the, that's the name of the group. It would be like me trying to explain to you like who the temptations are. Um, so Ms. Hamer, much appreciated at this time, Mississippi. She goes around her community and she feeds into it. She teaches people how to read and write and gets them prepared to pass the literacy test that they will be involved in when they go to register to vote. Um, so let's Let's move on, right? It's 1963, uh, and Ms. Hamer is going to a workshop in South Carolina, a, another very progressive state in the southeastern United States. They're on their way back from progressive South Carolina to ultra-progressive Mississippi, and the bus gets stopped. Well, actually, the bus stops at a rest area, right? In Winona, Mississippi. There were five people who got off the bus. 
and they went to the rest stops lunch counter. Once again, 1963. I know it doesn't sound like it was yesteryear, but once again, not a long time ago. So when these people get off the bus and go to the the rest area, because there's a rest area for the bus, the bus depot. You know what I'm saying? They just trying to get something to eat. They've been riding on the bus back in 1963. So imagine how hot and stank and nasty this bus is that they just got off of and how hungry they are because it's not the interstate system that we have now where every other stop has some, you know, fast food place that you can just enjoy yourself. This bus stop rest area is the only thing you're going to eat until the next bus stop rest area, which is probably going to occur in four to six hours, right? They go sit down at the counter. Now, once again, these people who sit down at the counter, they will probably fail the paper bag test. And in Mississippi, they are told to get out. Now, remember, Ms. Hamer is... Um, you know, a, a, a bit more knowledgeable about the law. So she makes a decision. When she um, when she gets off the bus, she's confronted by the patrol man because, you know, at this point, the police had to show up and, and tell the people to get out, right? So Ms. Hamer, Ms. Hamer explains to the patrolman. Now, remember, this is 1963 Mississippi patrol man. I don't know how much of a police officer, police officer you think he might be, but he's more than that. And Ms. Hamer was like, well, there's already a law in place that lunch counters at rest areas in Mississippi are integrated and these people can be here. The patrolman, probably in the most uh, polite way he could say, to Miss Hammer said, ain't no damn law. Uh, so, uh, one of the people starts to write down the license plate of the police car, and they all end up getting arrested. When they get arrested, they're taken to the same jail where Mega Evans was last seen alive they get into the cells and Miss Hamer claims she was sitting in his cell and she could hear people that same patrol going into the cells telling people can you say can you say yes sir nigga just trying to make sure. Can you say, yes, sir, nigga, while beating them? They said, no, I can't say that. The patrolman continues to beat them. Eventually makes it to Ms. Hamer's cell. He proceeds to ask her the same question and 
begins to beat her the same way. We are sick and tired of being sick and Why is this pertinent? <laughs> There's an election coming up in 1964. The Mississippi Democratic Party at this time were very strong segregationists who held very strong conservative beliefs. Uh, Ms. Hamer had started the Freedom Party and wanted President Johnson at this time to not seat Mississippi's Democratic Party at the convention. He wanted Mississippi's Freedom Party to be set. Now, to be clear, at this time, the black population of Mississippi outnumbers the white population. Uh, and due to Ms. Hamer's efforts, the black population becomes very involved with voting. So they become what is known as a voting block. So you, you have to respect them and take into account what their wishes are. Also, to win a presidential election, you can't just rely on the votes of black people. There's not enough of us nationally to win the election. So Lyndon Johnson, who is a Southern Democrat from Texas, is in this position where he has to make a decision over party or progress. And don't get Lyndon Johnson wrong. He, um, in the face of scrutiny, makes decisions like the Civil Rights Act of 1964, where you can get um, some of those iconic pictures of Martin Luther King standing over his shoulder while he signs into law the freedom for black people to vote and people of color actually to vote because, you know, at that time, people of color uh, didn't find strength in being separated. They understood that the plight was better if they all aligned together. So President Johnson, he was in a situation where he needed that delegation. He needed the Freedom Party delegation. So he offered them two seats at the Democratic National Convention. And this is so beautiful, right? He wanted the two seats um, to be given to anybody except Miss Fannie Lou Hamer, who literally started the party. And this would be a, a big deal because he wanted to make sure that she wasn't there to steal his shine or to cause trouble uh, between the, the people that was around. So what Miss Hamer decided to do? She was involved in a press conference which I'll drop right here. I'm Mrs. Fannie Lou Hamer, and I farmed on the Marlow Plantation for 18 years. 
I had charge of keeping up with the time and paying off. And I went down the 31st of August to try to register. And after I had gotten back home, Mr. Marlowe told me that I would have to go down and withdraw my registration or leave because they wasn't ready for that in Mississippi. And I said, Mr. Marlowe, I'm trying to register for myself. So I had to leave that same night after I had gone down in August. And then I spent one night with Mrs. Tucker, and after the, about two days in September, they shot in the house 15 times, thinking that I was there. President Johnson, he found out late that Ms. Heyman went and told her story and tried to overshadow her. His poor attempt drew more attention to Ms. Heyman and probably did more to actually cause progress for the Mississippi Freedom Party. And to be clear, because um, it's not so clear, but like in most cases, the Mississippi Freedom Party was a multicultural party. The Mississippi uh, Democratic Party they all pass the brown pepper bag test. It seems to be a lot of common themes between uh, that time and now. And maybe we have some people who are more aligned in thinking that what is best for them is in line with what's best for another group of people. We are sick and tired in all cases, if you truly believe in your own freedom, then your own freedom shouldn't be tied to someone else's fate. If you think that your progress is based on another man's progress and that you wouldn't prosper without the ability of someone else, then you are not free. And anybody who doesn't want to give you true freedom and wants to censor you is not your ally. And don't forget it. We are sick and tired of being sick and I'd like to conclude with a big thank you to Miss Fannie Lou Hamer. Um, like, subscribe, and comment uh, on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, CastBox, Podbean, wherever you checking this out, man. I definitely appreciate it. Hound dogs on the trail, school children sitting in jail, black cat across my path. I think every day is gonna be my last.